Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Mark 16, 1 through 8. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Mark in your Bible. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, Jason told me I could say salami if I wanted to, but I think we'll stay with Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee, There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Thanks be to God. It's the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sam. Well, I am am really glad that you are here with us this morning. And uh, yes, I did say he could say salome or salami, uh, because who knows how you really say that anyway. All right. There we go. There we go. Well, um, man, good morning so far, isn't it? I think so. I had, uh, I had way too much biscuits and gravy. And if I have heartburn in the middle of this, it will be Darren and Tabitha's fault. So, uh, but uh, biscuits and gravy is just a good reason to have heartburn, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's, if that's the loudest amen I get today, that's going to be, that's, yeah. All right. Well, we, we've, we've kind of rehearsed some of this story already, but when we leave off, uh, kind of where we picked up, we pick up where we left off on Friday night. Uh, one of the last things that Jesus says is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and it, those words echo Psalm 22, actually. And it's a cry, it's a cry of abandonment. And, and really, abandonment, I think, for Jesus isn't anything kind of new. It seems like throughout his ministry, he was kind of used to that. Uh, like his parents early on, not his parents, but his family, when he goes and does some uh, preaching and stuff in his hometown, they, they try to run him out and they, they reject him. Uh, the religious leaders, they want nothing to do with him because he's a threat. So they reject him as well. Eventually, even though that the crowds shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, on Palm Sunday, like they eventually, well, they, they abandoned him as well, uh, changing their chant from Hosanna to crucify him, crucify him, uh, for wanting a, a killer instead of one who's going to be killed for the sake of their sins. I, I, I bet, though, that, well, in reality, the people rejecting him might have been the one that hurt the most. Uh, after all, Jesus did, well, he did a lot of things for them, right? 
How many thousands of people did he feed from just a little bit? Uh, how many people did he, he heal? How many blind people now can see or lame people can now walk? Uh, how many people who were demon-possessed, how, how many were those were freed uh, to live a new life? I guess, I guess that's just kind of the way it is. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I think about that phrase a little bit, and, and there's a lot of theological nuisance, n- nuance there. That's what I'm looking for, not nuisance. <laughs> Goodness, ever happened to you? Just the wrong words come out? Theological n- nuance. There we go. Now, we, part of the Christian faith is we confess that, that Jesus is fully God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's kind of a mystery. It, it blows my mind to think about it, but that God is one, not three gods, just one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus never stops being fully God when he comes down to become one of us. So Jesus, he's still fully God and he's still fully human, and yet he feels on the cross that, like, that he's been abandoned. Now, now can we really say though, that, that God has abandoned Jesus? Like, I, I, I don't know. You say no. That may be right. It's a mystery, and I don't think we'll ever understand it, but this is what we confess, that, that somehow, in some way, God, like, part of God dies, uh, kind of, sp- not splits off. This, this is, I'm going to get myself in heretical trouble here. But what I'm trying to convey is just... The significance of this moment for creation. Uh, the very essence of who God is, is is fractured, not because of, well, it's fractured because of his love for us, which, which makes, well, makes this story just that much more significant. I mean, how, how many of us would make that particular sacrifice for people we didn't like or who didn't like us or who were evil and bad in the world. Well, th- we pick up the story kind of uh, third day. Sun has come up. Uh, much like today, I imagine it's a bright, sunny day. The birds are chirping. Uh, it's 70, which is just beautiful. And, and we got three ladies coming to anoint Jesus' body for burial. So we have Mary uh, and Mary and Salome. And they're walking along, and I can imagine them uh, kind of walking head down, uh, kind of dejected and despondent. After all, this guy who, who had meant so much to them and their friends, who they hoped would be the Messiah, well, he's dead. And, and they're, they're carrying the very things with them to kind of finalize that moment, uh, to anoint his body and prepare uh, to rest finally forever. Now, they couldn't do this when Jesus was, was killed because then the Sabbath came, and so they're doing it the, next, uh, the morning of the third day. So they're walking along, and they begin to talk, and they were like, hey, we know there is a stone that has been rolled in front of this tomb. Uh, who's going who's gonna to move it for us? Now, uh, Mark tells us that Joseph of Arimathea lays Jesus in this tomb. It's his tomb. The other gospel writers tell us that uh, a stone is meant to put in front of this tomb so that nobody could steal Jesus' body and claim that he's been raised from the dead. 
Uh, it really doesn't matter at this particular moment to these ladies who are walking towards Jesus' tomb because the reality remains is that, that that stone serves as an obstacle to them. They can't get in to do what it is that they want to do until that stone has been rolled away. Well, they're walking along, heads down, and I can imagine this. And they come around the bend, and they look up and they see they see the stone isn't there. It's, it's not there. It's rolled away. The grave is open. Now, I, I, wonder, I wonder what's going through their head at this point. And maybe put yourself in this particular place as well. Like, what would you be thinking if you were on to go anoint your dear friend's body who you thought was going to be the savior of the world and prepare him for burial? Would, would you be thinking, oh man, this, somebody got there before us? Uh, somebody must have already done it, or, or maybe somebody unrolled this because they knew we were coming, or maybe somebody did unroll it, and maybe somebody stole his body. Who knows? I, I kind of believe that because they were carrying with themselves these, these tools to prepare Jesus' body for his final resting, that the, the idea that he had, would raise from the dead just really wasn't with them. Which, which kind of makes the story even, maybe even a little bit better. Well, they come around and they go into the tomb and, and they find a body, but it is not the body of Jesus. It is, as the text says, a young man clothed in a white robe. And they freak out. Mary, Mary, and Salome do. Now, uh, the text that we read says that they, uh, that they were alarmed. Now, uh, the word that our translation used, alarmed, is weak. Uh, just, just a minute. Put yourself in these ladies' sandals. Like, it's, it, it's tough, right? Now, the word alarmed here means, and this, hopefully this makes sense to you from last week, to become excessively affected by emotion, used of both negative excitement and fear and positive excitement, as in wonder. It is the same word that the Gospel of Mark's writer uses to describe what Jesus was feeling in the Garden of Gethsemane. We had that, we had that word last week, kind of pointed to how Jesus really experiences all of this fear. It, it is uh, to be excessively affected by emotion, bad ones, fear, trepidation, terror, but also good, wonder, and amazement. Now, I, I don't want you to pick just one or the other if, if you're trying to experience what these ladies experienced that day because I don't think it's just, uh, well, it's not a binary choice. You don't have to choose fear over wonder because I think there's plenty of times in our lives where we experience both of those things. Like if you've gone to the Grand Canyon and you're standing at the edge and maybe it's a long way down. I've never been there, I'm assuming. Uh, it seems like it's a long way down. Uh, okay, good. I'm afraid of heights, and I would be effectively, uh, what, what did I say, excessively affected by the emotion of fear. Like, my stomach would be all knotted up, and I would get queasy, and my wife would say, come away from the edge, because she doesn't like heights either. But at the same time, I would look out over this, this beautiful landscape and just be in awe of the wonder and beauty of it. Well, it might be the same feelings you might uh, feel as if you're like ziplining in the mountains 
or if you're about to jump off of a, a cliff into a clear crystal pool of water, or to jump out of an airplane, or something like that. Maybe it's, maybe it's the experience that you feel when you find out you're going to be a parent. Like, terror, joy. I, actually, I think we have a lot of those moments as parents over and over and over again. So that's where these ladies are. They are, they are all the feels, everything. And so the man says to them, do not be alarmed. Same word, actually, that Mark uses to describe what the ladies are feeling. He's essentially saying, calm down. And, uh, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. Do not be alarmed. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Now, we don't often understand because the name is not common in our day, right? I don't know many people who are named Jesus. But in Jesus' day, the Hebrew equivalent of, well, what his name really would have been was Yeshua, which is closer to Joshua than it is to anything else. So from Hebrew, it gets translated uh, Yeshua to Greek, and then we get it, and it's more like like Jesus. And so, like, it's a common name. And so the angel takes some time to specify exactly who this Jesus was. It wasn't just the Jesus that lived down the street, but it was the one from Nazareth, the one that you know from Nazareth. Not only was he from Nazareth, but he was the one who was crucified. Now, uh, it's past tense, but it's like a past continuous tense in the Greek, in, in the language it comes into, which means that like, it has these concrete uh, ramifications in the past, but that they continue to have effects on into the future. So it is the fact that Jesus is the crucified one. He has been crucified, but the results of his crucifixion, will they go on, not that Jesus continues to die, but that the effects, the results of those things continue on forever, our salvation. That Jesus doesn't cease to be the crucified one, but he he is the crucified one who has defeated sin and death and who will continue to do so, not just in the past and not just today, but for tomorrow and the future. And finally, at the end of time, when he comes back, and death will be no more. He has been raised. He is not here. Now, uh, some more grammar. I only really get excited about grammar when it has to do with salvation and like Jesus. So I'm, I'm not exactly always... I'm not a grammar fan other than that. But this one is, it's, uh, well, it's past tense too, but it's passive voice, which uh, whenever I write anything, grammarly, I don't know if any of you have grammarly, like it always tells me that I'm writing the passive voice and it doesn't like that, it says it's wrong. But here it's very, very right. And he says, he has been raised. Uh, The fact is that Jesus doesn't raise himself, but God the Father raises Jesus from the dead. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's 
really never any forsakenment at all. Jesus gives up himself willingly. He sacrifices himself for the sake of all of creation. And the Father honors that by raising from the dead, vindicating everything that Jesus did and vindicating and validating everything that Jesus said and all that he taught. He has been raised from the dead. He is the crucified yet resurrected Lord. Sin and death is over. It will be over in eternity. Well, he goes on a little bit and he says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And so the, uh, the ladies, they're like, they're trying to process everything that has happened. And Mark will tell us that they leave the tomb in terror and amazement. In terror and amazement. And they run out and Mark tells us they don't tell anybody. At least not at first. They just run out in terror and amazement and boom, kind of the story is over. Now Mark's gospel has this really, um, well, it's a really abrupt kind of ending. Uh, But I want us actually to to focus in on this, uh, what he's saying here. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. I think there's something important here. And one of the things I forgot to mention in talking at the beginning about Jesus' abandonment is not only did the crowds abandon Jesus, but his disciples did as well. Like when when Judas came around and the, the guards came, disciples took off. Peter himself, who was like Jesus' most ardent supporter, who the one who said he would, he would die for Jesus and, well, he denies Jesus three times. But Jesus, who is not abandoned by the, the Father, uh, is not going to abandon his disciples either. That the same steadfast love and faithfulness that God uh, that sheds on Jesus in this kind of way that Jesus is now going to display for his disciples and yes, even for you and I. God is eternally faithful. Jesus is eternally faithful to us even in the midst of our unfaithfulness. Go ahead, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. I think there's something really important here as well, not just the whole non-abandonment thing. Uh, But I think that Jesus ends up going ahead of us all the time. That Jesus went ahead of us in coming down to become one of us. Fully human, fully God. He became one of us and he goes ahead of us in his death where he is crucified for our sake. He goes ahead of us in the resurrection whereas the apostle Paul says he is the first fruits of the resurrection. And now even though you and I will one day die, that as Jesus was resurrected, we will be resurrected as well. But Jesus doesn't just go ahead of us in those kind of big salvation kind of ways. 
whether we can see it or not, Jesus goes ahead of us into every place that you and I might go. Jesus goes ahead of us whenever we try to love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus goes ahead of us anytime we might try to feed the hungry or clothe the naked or give water to the thirsty. Jesus goes ahead of us when we go to work. Jesus goes ahead of us when we go to school, to the grocery store, when we go visit grandma. Jesus goes ahead of us. And he's there. He's there working, whether we can see it or not, calling people's names, whispering to them, saying to them, I love you. I died, but I rose again for your sake, for your salvation. I want you to come and follow me. That is the essence of what we celebrate today, that that Jesus has gone before us in every way imaginable and that he is calling to us in his mission of salvation in the world to do the same things that he has done. But we know that we don't go out and do those things by ourselves or in our own strength, but that Christ has already gone ahead of us to prepare the way for us. He says, come and follow me. I will lead you where you need to go. Now, I think this is really important. Because when we put this together with the really abrupt ending that Mark has. Now, if you look in your Bible, there's like, may say, the shorter ending and then the longer ending. And we don't know exactly. Some scholars think the shorter one is more authentic and some think that the longer one is more authentic. I think for our purposes today, I like the abruptness of this ending because it allows us to enter into this story. To hear these words from this young man saying that Jesus is going ahead of you to wherever you are going. He has called you into his mission. And if anything, our lives, our church, the story of us becomes another chapter in the gospel story. That Christ is calling you and me, whether you have been a Christian for a very long time or whether you are just here today because a relative dragged you here. Christ is calling to you, saying, I love you. I want you to follow me. I will be with you. I will go before you everywhere that you go. Now, uh, we're going to have we're going to celebrate two sacraments today. We're going to baptize people, and I can, we can extend this metaphor that, that Christ goes before us in this as well. He went down into the water and he came back, and his father said, "This is my son in whom I am well pleased." And I think in a certain way that that Christ says that of us when we go down into the water and come back up as well. And then we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. And that one really reminds us of where Christ has gone before us as well. That he goes and he dies. And we, we take that meal in remembrance of that, of Christ going ahead of us.
I think not only are these remembrances of things that Christ has already done, but they are also promises. Promises that wherever you and I go, Christ is with us. That wherever you and I go, Christ is going before us. I hope that as we do, especially this, because we don't do this one as often as we do the Lord's Supper. If you have been baptized, I want you to take this moment as you witness the six people that we're going to baptize today. And I want you to remember your baptism. Uh, that you will pull on that day and you will remember that you have died with Christ and raised to new life and that Christ is with you. Hold on to that and remember that Christ goes with you today and tomorrow and every day. Well, if you've not been baptized, we can make that happen whenever. Well, uh, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that, well, that you didn't stay dead, that you loved us so much to die, but and you went away with it even though it's not what you wanted. We thank you that you didn't stay dead and, well, like the disciples, that you didn't hold our abandonment uh, against us. We thank you that you have continued to call us into your mission anyway so that we might go out and participate in your salvation for the world. Or we work, when we look at the world and we understand and realize how big and broken it is, we get overwhelmed. Lord, thank you for going out ahead of us to preparing the places that we might go to hear your message of love and salvation. Lord, we ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear how you have been in the places that we go. And then grant us courage to to be able to speak the things that we need to speak and to do the things that we need to do to love our neighbors as ourselves. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and for these people that we are going to baptize in a minute. We thank you for the gift of their lives and their testimonies today uh, as they bear witness to what you are doing, what you have done and what you are doing in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.